You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. What up, man? This is your boy, Almega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders podcast. And today we have an amazing independent creator. Well, we got a fire project out on Kickstarter right now. All right. He is a editor, screenwriter, comic writer, and let's talk, and a podcaster with a dope podcast. All right. And we'll get into all of this, his whole geek culture narrative and growing up and stuff. Let's get into the geekiness of the man himself. Miss Michael J. Florio. How you doing, brother? <laughs> I'm doing all right, man. Thanks for that intro. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. A uh, big shout out to, to our extended whole Ink family, man. Glad to have an Ink fan member up, up on right here that got a project, got something going on with Wild Oni. But we're going to get into that. But with my comic crew, I, I need to have me an audio story, Mike. This is your first time here. Tell us a bit about yourself, where you're originally from, and what was the first thing in fandom that you ever fell in love with? Oh, man, that's that's a long. I'll try to make it short, though. <laughs> I am I am an original OC. I was originally born in Orange County, San Clemente, California. And for, for whatever reason, my mother decided to move me to Mississippi, where I've spent <laughs> the, yeah, <laughs> Biloxi, Mississippi. I've actually lived all over from Ocean Springs and Diaberville, all the way over to Bay, uh, Bay St. Louis, which is about an, out, an hour outside of New Orleans. I've lived in LA or LA, Louisiana for a little while, but I lived in Vegas for a time when I was a kid and then we came back. But I always came back to Mississippi for some reason, which isn't a bad thing because, you know, like creators like Stephen Butler and stuff live out here. So it's, it's, actually, it's actually the com- comic community in Mississippi is actually quite big. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it is. It's really cool. In fact, the comic shop that I, I frequent, Three Alarms Comics off Lemoyne Boulevard, ran by ran by Scott, is actually a sister store to the Stash, with Mike Zapsick. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's small world. So I was excited about that, and he he frequently does events and stuff. It's really cool. But my career in into writing actually started with my interest in video games. So fast forward or flashback to 2015, I was I was I was building trailers, like putting them together off lots. Really rough job. And I was like, I need to do something with my life. I was having a midlife crisis type of thing. I uh, live in a whole state away from my kids. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to do something that I want to love to do or I'd love to do. And so I decided to, to go make video games. So I called up a full sale rep, full sale university out of Orlando, Florida, Winter Park, Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, really? Small world, man. There's, there's a lot of full sale blood around the country. It's, it's, it's actually quite the prestigious school. It's niched in entertainment, whether it be like writing. Video games is the biggest one, but a lot of graphic designers and, and coders come from there, video game designers who've worked on multiple projects, Borderlands, Fallout, and all that. I mean, like people don't even know. That's why they put NXT, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, NXT, too. They're in the entertainment industry. They use the students but... to film, folks. That's, you know, it's like really like right there. You, if, you, if you like the quality of that, keep in mind, these are students learning. On the job. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go campus because I was living in Louisiana. So I did online. Uh, online. Well, my daughter went during COVID years. So unfortunately, she probably got to go a week or two and boom. And then the poor girl didn't get and get to enjoy it. Yeah, man. They, they opened up, I think, a year and a half after. It's funny that you bring up wrestling, though, because that was that, that was actually what I'm getting to with this first fandom thing. But so so I graduated from Full Sail, but I didn't stick with gaming. So shortly after my grandmother died, I wanted to get into writing. So I felt like there was a lot of things that she could have said with the rest of her life. That she had a chance to, she got, she died from cancer. It was like for fourth go around. So I was like, mm-hmm. so after my coding instructor wouldn't, wouldn't teach us, wouldn't teach me per se, the, the way to understand it. Cause I had passed all the classes up till then. I was like, this is just a great uh, opportunity to transition over. So I transitioned over to writing, got my bachelor's. And then I jumped right into the master's degree program as COVID happened. I lost my job during COVID because I was in a department that hands-on, they couldn't have that. So I just, I, I, I took all that energy and frustration and put it in my master's degree program. I graduated 3.8 GPA and 
shortly after that, I got my first comic editing job with Limitless Comics. I did a book called Thirst. There's mm-hmm. uh, so a female vampiric type character in a in a dark type city. It was almost like a f- writing or editing for like a, a female type spawn slash blade character. It was a really cool character. Mm-hmm. Shortly after that, I had, I had hooked up with Kevin and Inked and stuff. But my original introduction to fandom was really pro wrestling, and I know that's far from comics. But if you look at where comics and wrestling have intersected over the last decade, you know Tony Schiavone's butts and seats with Dirk Manning, and then Arn Anderson. Enforcer All My Life documentary graphic novel that also was written by Dirk Manning. And I, I recently spoke to Todd Black, who who wrote the Thunder Rosa comic. That was basically an origins of how she came up. And I, I witnessed that when I was a child. And before I even thought about, you know, going into anything, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. And so I went to a few shows down here in 2013 when I was around 19, 20 years old, and I got some information. I went to the SWA. Uh, it's called Southern Wars War Action Zone or something, and I went to Hattiesburg and I did training. And they they shut down the school a couple weeks before I was going to get my athletics license. Oh man! Yeah, bro. and then my and then my ex wife hit me with that. It's either wrestling or family, and I was like, "Great, thanks for pulling out my real origin stories." I grew up without a father for about up until I was about sixteen. I, you know, I always had stepdads, but I was always I was always empty with that like who am yeah. like Batman who am I type crap. <laughs> and so I chose family. And so oddly enough, I've I've gotten the opportunity to talk to, you know, pro wrestlers and, and stuff like that. So when I was talking to Todd Black about his, you know, opportunity to write Thunder Rosa and uh, he's got this uh, idea for writing for AEW. And so I've I've been trying to help him get the horn out on that because he, he needs writers for that project. But that's that's mm-hmm. kind of where the origin stories came from. That's when I started getting into the industry that first editing job and then meeting Kevin. Kevin was a bridge to a lot of other creators. I've had, you know, jobs with creators like uh, Sean and SHP, the editor on, I believe it was, I know one was Woodstock. The other one was, it's actually right here. The Killing Machine. Oh, the Killing Machine. Oh, yeah. 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 On me too. I mean, put that up again. Look at that. Hold on. Boom, there we go. Look at that cover. Sick. I really, I really like, I really like where he went with this book. I know, I think he's got like two or three more issues to do on that, but he jumped off that train to get on Eurotech, and I know he's been working on Eurotech and stuff. That that was a fun book. Currently, right now, I'm editing Sweet Pea, the Diary of Sweet Pea by Owen. Oh, yeah, yeah, Alter Ego, I and mean, he's working on the the script for issue three right now. And so, other than that, what? <laughs> That you having being able to see, you know, the world building, you know, even before all of us do. The world building is probably the fun part because you, it's like it's it's not even just about like characters and and seeing how people like put things together or adapt or you know take a world and like transform it into like their own vision. It's it's getting to see the way they think about the world you know, through their perspective. And it also gives you kind of like a humble perspective because I see things a certain way. You see things a certain way. They see things a certain way. So as an editor, it's really humbling because we get to see the way they see it and we get to share our perspective with them. And whether or not they use that in their story, it's it's still an inspiring process because we both get to teach each other different sides of the world or different views of the world that maybe we hadn't considered before. I've learned a lot from every creator that I've edited for. Some I've been close-knit with. I know me and Lim work very close on his script, and he asks me questions, and I, I send him answers back, and we'll have back and forth a few times. I've worked with editors who are like, look at this, I proofread it. I'm like, great, thanks. Either way, you could still learn a lot from from those types of, of uh, not confrontations, but like trade-offs or back and forths, because you're still reading their work. If they wrote it, then... You know, that's how they think. I've always been the type of person to analyze and then and then kind of deliberate afterwards to kind of like introspect, but like, how does that make me feel? What can I learn from this? How could this make me better? What what didn't I know that I know now that actually makes me more informed? And it also, you know, the way they write, the techniques they use, the mechanics of their of their writing overall teaches you how better to guide the next writer that you take on. And if you're a writer and an editor like me, it's, it gives you a perspective to see your own writing in a different way. Um, I've had that happen a few times where either something in my life has either, you know, 
impacted my writing in a way that I would have done this totally differently had I not known that. But because I do, I can do, I think, much, much more clearer and much more impactful in a way that I think better serves the reader because they get to experience this for the first time and you get to grow it. So it's, I, I describe it as a process of having a green thumb, right? You start off with a seed, you plant it, and then you, you water it, you nurture it, you take care of it until it, you know, bears fruit or vegetables or whatever nutrients or sustenance that you need. The writer, the reader gets to enjoy that part. It's, it's, it's very liberating experience to be completely honest, because as an editor, you can't, you can't go in there fully loaded with what you know and then tell them what they need to do with their story. Cause that's, <laughs> that's not how you, you become a great editor. Or even how to not even how you give advice to people who may need help in certain areas. And sometimes you get the you get the gratification of of seeing somewhere where a writer can improve, which is also equally liberating because you get to teach them maybe a way that was easier. Okay, wonderful. See, you 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 killed my second question. You answered it. What, what, oh, did what I? You, I love it. Love it. All right. <laughs> what about getting now? into your own creative spirit now, you know, because you're helping others so much, right? You, you're doing what you're yeah. doing, editing, whatnot. You know, talk about now, you you applying all that, you know, see, having so much coming at you, how do you kind of clear your mind and your space to work on, you know, the Floriover, if you will? The Floriover, I like that. You know, <laughs> when I was sitting down thinking about that, because I, I have a character called Iron Jaguar that I published in several other comics comics publishers. One was Advent Comics with Tony Cottrell. I have a four-page team-up with him and his his Titan Man character. And then in Champion Comics, uh, and, and I think it was the Powerverse, I'm in a scene with that with Vince White's Powerverse, and then Carlos Raphael's Champions Comics. I also have another character coming out with him, but I, I published him first, and that's actually the legacy character. I have to, to kind of like dump like the week that I... The week that I balance is usually between like, okay, you're a podcaster, so you, you know the pains of this. Like, you have to correspond with guests to get them on the show, mm -hmm. and there's always just like at least three or four back and forths. You're like, what's what time works good for you? What time works best for me? This time works best for me. That's why I love Kennedy. Today <laughs> in time, and we're locked. <laughs> right. Yeah, I am going to adopt that. I, I promise. But I spend a lot of time doing that, and then after that, you know, check emails and all that. And once all my messages are clear, I'll go write my reviews for Geek Network if I have any. And then I'll go see if my emails are anything. If there's anything there for my clients, I'll, I'll take care of that. This is probably around 2, 3 o'clock. And then I'll go check my emails again, make sure there's correspondence for the podcast there. If I'm podcasting that day, I, I don't do anything before, before noon. I leave myself from like noon to like 3 to like decompress, which means I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll catch up on a TV show. I'll, uh, I'll go nice. read news. Yeah. <laughs> And then I'll just take care of that guest. And when that podcast episode's over with, I'll go write my show notes, I'll schedule it, and I'll, I'll put my stuff in there the day after and make the graphic for it later. And then, and then after that, I'll spend an hour or two writing, whether it's outlining, because I'm a plotter, I'm not a panther. Okay. Um, the difference is I look at all my assets for my story and I put them in the, in the pattern that I want them to be understood and read in. And then I, I go in and then I add all the details and stuff. Panthers what just, you have a murder board in, in your creative room. <laughs> I do have a murder board in my creative room. <laughs> it's, it's on note cards. And oh, I have baby. actually I have two boards. I got stuff up here right now. I don't have a webcam to turn around. I could show you one day, but I'll put a picture up in a, in a message chat later. But I do, I do have kind of a murder board because I break it down into note cards. And I learned that technique when I was learning screenwriting during my, match, my bachelor's and my master's. And I actually did that process again uh, when I wrote this, the pilot script for Mozzie Productions this past year. So I'll, I'll get a little. Do you approach a comic book creation as, as a movie screenwriter type of format, or, or is there a difference in how you approach it to? So, I mean, not really. Not really. Uh, at first, when I, when I break down the whole comic script, I will go page by page and I'll, I'll throw a two or three sentence synopsis like, this is what I want to happen on this page. This is what I want to happen on this page, this page, this page. It never stays the same because you're, you're, you're at, when you're outlining that way, you're just trying to get your pages down so you can set up your page turn mechanics. Cause every, every, every big dramatic scene has to have like, Oh, what's next to, you know, to hook the reader in. You don't want them to get bored after like page six. Cause they didn't have nothing to turn to. It was just like, Oh, more exposition. And, and in, 
in screenwriting, there there's a completely different way to do that. Like you could set it up that way in comics if you were outlining it, but there's just so much more detail because every when it comes to when it comes to screenwriting versus comics, dialogue is is so much more important in screenwriting because you actually have uh, you you have more money than you do in comics, but everything comes down to production time when you're writing, you know, a film or or a television show, and so your dialogue has to be quick, quick, clever, and just really fast, and it has to play off each other. And and it, that version of the script that you turn in will never stay the same because after a table read, they'll probably change it. Because you'll have the actors come in and they'll they'll be like, I'm not really feeling this word. What if we said this? And then after the table read, they'll redo it again. And then the director might a director might change it on set while they're doing the performance. Because then now you have the set together. Now you have all the people in costumes. So you've really captured what the script is trying mm-hmm. to say. But maybe it doesn't work while they're shooting. In comics, you don't really have that many options to do that. You get the script, and it gets approved by an editor. That editor takes it to layouts by the artist. The artist does the layouts. And if you don't approve, if you don't change anything before they apply ink, that's it. You're done. You're either paying for new pages. Yeah, you're either paying for new pages. So if once links inks laid out, you're done. That's it. Like you can't. No, you. No, the only thing you can change is dialogue. You would have to pay that artist to do a completely different page unless 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 they're contracted. So if they're contracted and they've agreed to do so many repages for this page, that's different. But if you're freelance, then most artists will just say, if you want to make that whole change, it's like almost the whole page. I need a brand new page. That's that's another 60 to 80 to 120 dollars, depending on the quality and the location of the artist. So I, I approach. I approach comics in the same way I do script because a lot of the format is similar, right? Because you have your actions, which is basically the note to your artist on how to lay out the scene or the panel. And then you have your dialogue, which is the basic thing. But you also have your tags, so your captions. You have your your character names. There's a lot of similarity there. A lot of people don't write comics like they do film, especially if they don't have film background training or background in writing film. But for those who appreciate the, the long form script, which I think they call the DC style, not the Marvel style, they 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 go full script. They they include names and captions and notes and notes to the editors if they want something specific. They'll apply notes to the inkers or or whatever. Uh, that is a huge debate in like the medium itself, and uh, I hope one day it leads to like a comics union, like the way we have you know WGA and SAG-AFTRA for actors and, and writers and in, in, in comic scripts. Well, Image started kind of right in the Image creative, uh, try to you know form a, a union, if you will. Yeah, and hopefully it's something that could expand across publishers to protect you know you writers as well and, and artists from also from the uh, right. horrors. <laughs> The AI now that, that you know, <laughs> it's doing. I mean, I, I'm not a doomsayer on AI. On AI, there's certain things that you that that's great for uh, right. uh, you know that 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 can help creatives you know take some shortcuts. But when it comes to you know like writing up a whole story through AI, no, right. I, uh, you know taking someone's art, no, you know. Thankfully, like I've seen Google Bard, for example. Is an AI that doesn't allow you to put things like in the style of, you know, won't allow you to copy. Although yeah. then the argument is, but it's still sourcing material that are made by others. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then creators like George R. R. Martin and stuff, they have they have lawsuits out against them. I promise I will come back and do a whole episode on AI if you want to. I, uh, I think I think there's I think there's a middle ground for it. To be honest, I, I think you because because I'll say this real quickly. If and I see this all the time. Most most lately, most recently, I've seen this a lot come up on LinkedIn and uh, in the writers and artists communities over there. And a lot of them are just like straight, flat out, like no AI. And I get it, but to a certain degree, pencilers and inkers felt the same way when digital art pads and Adobe came out. <laughs> that, that that's the same thing. It's just it's just a tool. Oh, what about when digital comic came out? Period. Oh no, <laughs> you, you don't even have to. If I'm being honest, we don't even have to as independent comic creators. We don't even have to. We we could bypass the entire convention model and go straight to digital, and then just figure out a funneling marketing system that works best for online and use things like Google AdSense and Facebook ads to draw 
all that off there. We don't even have to go to print anymore. Like you are coming back. You're gonna come back so you can have <laughs> and whatnot. And just because again, that's what upsets me. A lot of creators, oh woe is me, how this is so no, you have every effort to at your disposal. And guess what? I would say that you could probably use 90% of those tools at no cost to you. Absolutely. I mean, chat GPT three is free. Yeah, I and mean, there's a whole bunch of others you're signing up. I mean, Twitter even just came up, X rather came up with its AI that, that, that you can sign up for. I, I use I use Canva for a lot of my graphic design work for, oh, Canva, uh, for a beautiful tool. And they just for AI got or oh, not. <laughs> now their their image tool that they just dropped that it's not competitive image tool. It just it allows you to create a generative image model. Now whether or not whether or not they 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 have used proper data models that that don't break you know consumer license or copyright law is is beyond my knowing at this moment i do know that i've toyed with it and it's decent it needs work because you can tell if it's ai right like if you generate like a dark samurai and you'll notice that like the pommel of the sword is like over here in this dude's midsection but his hands over here uh, and he's got six fingers and stuff. Like you can tell, it hasn't been trained that much. But it's it's just a tool. It'll it'll be a tool, and and the you can't stop it from coming. I've watched multi billion dollar TED talks on this. I've watched, I forgot the name of this one show that I keep keeps popping up over my thing because I watch a lot of I watch a lot of Spotify stuff, and and the the thing that comes up more more and more and more is that large corporations are integrating AI into their marketing funnels. And they're also doing it into their non-labor, non-labor jobs. So like, you know, virtual assistants and stuff, they'll be able to do more. And then, you know, the whole Elon Musk, let's go crypto for Canada, where like you invest a little bit, he sets up your funnel and then they get to make five to 7,500 a month. Like that stuff's coming over to, you know, America, I'm sure at some point in time, it's, it's just a tool. It's just a tool and you can win if you want to use it. But if you don't, then you just, you, you keep doing what you're doing. I think in a large part, people should just not complain as much and focus on on what makes them better and focus in on what they're doing to to continue doing what they're doing, because it's not really hurting anybody. Like, It's I mean, not. You focus on you. But again, you know, it, it's all about being in the conversation. So, But they're yeah. doing the marketing the wrong way, folks. Market yeah. your project. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand that. That's been a struggle, man. It's. Yeah. And talking about project, let's bring it to the stage. Wow, only baby, let's talk about it with 24 days to go. 21 backers, a big salute to you, 21 folks out there. Thousand dollar gold currently at $846. So close, and yet with so many days. That's yeah. you know, right here. We have at least three paychecks, folks. All right. If you pay, get paid weekly, or at least you get in two. So don't bullshit me that you cannot support <laughs> comments. All right. All right, we're going to get into this. Before anything, we're going to have to check out the, the, the videos and learn a little bit more about this and then, you know, start diving in. Absolutely, let's do it. My name is Morichira. I was once a summer, but I failed my shogun. Hiroshi Toyotomi had my family killed for my shame. In my final words, on the brink of death, or like it here, where there cries, and the whispers of my vengeance. Watashi no hai kanji to kodazai. Wowzers, man. Fallout Studios, I love that animation. And so they be doing for Ink, man. Fallout be killing it, huh? They honor me. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it, it, it's 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 a great time to have a samurai product out right now, man. Blue Eye Samurai out. Onimusha just came out on Netflix. You got Shogun dropping on Hulu. All these Dude. great samurai topics, man. Really, Shogun? I gotta peep that. I, I stay so busy. Oh man, I, you I, love. I just uh, I just recently got my hands on the uh, Blue Eye Samurai joint. I said, all right, I'm definitely that's next on my playlist. I'm trying to finish bodies right oh, now. Okay, I got you. So that was, I, was, I didn't know that that was based on the Vertigo comic. So I was like, all right, bet. So 
Oh wow, yeah, that's on my list though. I'm gonna have to check that out. Definitely yeah, check out on Blue the Eyed DC comic. So I, you know, that's the reason I said, all right, I'm gonna have to watch this because I gotta watch everything comic. <laughs> but like, like I was, I've been working on this for two years. Okay, like I originally had planned to release this as just an ash can. So like the first six pages you'll see underneath the interior samples, and I, I passed that around for a long time. And until I saw the performance that it was doing in the campaign that I had put it on previously it attached to Limitless Comics, and I saw that it, it at just at six pages it had fifteen backers, and one of the backers was Blue Juice Studios or Blue Juice Comics. Mm-hmm. That 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 was pretty serious to me because they had like just they had just taken off the year that that dropped, and so I turned this into a full fledged series. I wrote the full script. We finally we finally got the artwork done. Basically, the, the, the pitch is, is the, the samurai you see on the front there is Morichika. Morichika is actually a rebellious samurai that was part of the Sampo clan. I was part of the Sampo clan around, I don't know, mid 15, early, late 15, 1600s. And he actually, he actually had some type of rebel assault against the, the shogun. Not much is known about his death. And so I chose to take that, that ominous point in time of this particular character in Japanese history with little to no history. He's been, he's been used in other animes across the thing, but I really wanted to give him a good story because it was a great anchor point for a vengeance story, which is most, most what, mostly what, mostly what vengeance comic or comic samurai comics usually cover because of the Bushido code. A lot of it, a lot of Japanese history was synced into family honor and and what you do for your shogun and the honor to your people, you know, honor, justice, loyalty, and all that stuff. But it's basically his family is killed after he fails his shogun pushing into Korea, which was a, a real like historical event. It happened twice in their history. The last time was with the the shogun Hideyoshi Toyotomi. And his family gets murdered and they leave him to die in the woods, but in this like chasm in this in the mountains. He hears this whisper from like a meteoric prison. He goes in there. There's all these like dead shogun in armor and stuff. And one of them's talking and he makes a pact that he really just doesn't understand. And so the way the, re, the way I describe Morichika's bond with this Oni demon is that he accepts to be the host for this demon, which breaks wild Oni out of his meteoric prison and mm. gives him the ability to transform like, like Ghost Rider into this huge nine foot hulking odachi wielding fire bending samurai from the kami realm which is the realm that they described kind of like our version of purgatory but it's where all the yokai come from and he has an ulterior agenda but morichika's agenda is really just to get back at toyotomi for killing his family it's not an honorable road you you'll see most samurai stories cover the vengeance code thing i'm going a little different route i didn't want to stick 100 percent to the history of Japan, a lot of the research that you do, if it's not found on like ancienthistory.com or, or, or some other third party, then you really don't know the details of much of Japanese history that you don't get from a documentary. And it's because they, they keep most of that stuff sealed off from outside their own country. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to be, you know, disingenuous to the culture. So what I, what I did was I, I took inspiration from games like Ghost of Tsushima. And I took inspiration from from a lot of the fantasy built around the Japanese mythology, and I used that to bend the fiction of this and turn it into like a supernatural fantasy fiction that's really, really deep, really, really dark, and and that's basically it for for this issue anyway. You get to see you know what old, old wild oni can do. You'll get to see the impact of you know the emotional impact. So through this whole story, he's he's having this internal and external conflict you you get to see this ex juxtaposition you know through comparison by going back and forth because you know wild oni lives like within him there's a space you know within him that he dwells in and he doesn't know how to you know control his you know power yet if if you compare it to like a superhero origin it's like kind of like you know spider-man didn't know how to be spider-man when peter got his powers he kind of had to go through that you know this is how you crawl a wall, and this is a. Now I'm not going to stay there forever. There's there's some pretty cool characters coming that are going to really expedite this forward. But the overarching storyline, which is described underneath the Legend of the Wild Oni series, is Morichika really doesn't want 
this power. And so the only way to get rid of this is to find the sword of heaven. And it's it's a mythology from I, I believe it's either shared or it's from actual actually either China or Japan's mythology, the Dragon King sword. That's it was called the Heavenly Sword. And it was the only thing that could that could really slay like the yokai. Mm-hmm. And so he has to journey to this. But it's it's located in China. So he's gotta go back through the province of Tsushima. He's gotta deal with like Toyotomi, you know, chasing him through wherever. Toyotomi's got generals and he's got ninjas that he sends after. But what this really what the story really, really is gonna get excited is that because he let Wild Oni out of his meteoric prison, Wild Oni was kind of the key holding the Kami realm in their own like dimension. So now now after after uh, issue one, you'll have these portals opening all over Japan, China, Korea, all these commies mm. and different mythological characters coming out. And then it turns into kind of like, well, what does the how does the world respond to this? So you have this like whole monster hunter thing come out of this where people have to, you know, rely on supernatural means and methods to, you know, fight yokai and demons. And so they turn towards like Taoists and and uh and they're, you know, religious zealots, like they're Buddhist monks, like the Sohi, you know, in the Japanese culture, those those were their warrior monks, the Sohi monks, which actually comes up in issue two. And so they gotta they gotta get the sword, they gotta fight commies, they gotta save people. It's it's man, it's gonna be nuts. I'm super That's excited. Exact, about baby, just like we like it. And folks, if you <laughs> it's a twenty-two page full color comic book, and it is and it is but one of eight issues, baby. Yeah, and it's then it's and the best part is it's done. Like it's done. Like we're doing this whole campaign to get printing costs. Hey, let's talk about these covers, man, because they're gonna oh, look yeah. nice. you can get started as easily as with one dollar at the tip jar. All right, you don't need coffee, all right, or whatever. All right, and but of course, we're gonna start with the digi, they start on that five bucks. And now we're gonna talk some covers as we do, we're gonna do the rundown as well. And look at this fire cover, yo, fire, love it, man. Oh, snap, bro. So, this this covers this cover is really special. I had, a, I had an artist. I don't know if you've ever spoken to to Paul, Paul Gomez. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, Paulie G, Rabbit, yeah, man. Uh, he, we we <laughs> we I think we did the marketing on on PTSD, and then he came out with the Bushy Boo Circus. And I met I met Jeff Muth through Paul Gomez, and Jeff I, I commissioned Jeff to do two covers. He's got a cover I think below that, but he did this one, and then he was trying to get colors right on it. Didn't didn't work out. He told me he was going to hire someone to do colors. And then he, he, I went to check on him a few weeks later and he's like, I got somebody else. I'm just, I'll get with you when it's done. And then he sent me this and I was like, who did that? And he was like, Dan Kemp. I was like, why does that sound so familiar? And I, I had to Google it, man. And then I saw the word spawn come up. I'm like, oh my God, you did not just give me Christmas and like (laughs) birthday. And I was, man, I was blown away. And uh, Jeff, Jeff's been a huge supporter of this entire project going forward. I was going to say because he he, he he kind of he, you see it. Uh, if I remember that they did a like uh, a samurai dark ages in the in the figure line. Yeah, and so yeah, he reminds me of one of them a little bit, and just in how grimacing, crazy he looked. Holy shit! It's actually an Easter egg. So, you know, when Morichika finally learns how to, you know, work with Wild Oni, which is one of the conflicts he's going to have to overcome, that's going to be, that's going to be final form. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love yeah. it. And look at this. I love this type of artwork, man. It's like fucking all, all these colors are blending, but oh, beautifully. Man. Jeff does amazing, like amazing. I, I can't even find the words to describe the the dark, depths that he puts into this if you guys go check out like his book simon says you'll you'll see what i'm talking about jeff does horror very well very very well i'm actually thinking about making that like a, a sleeve tattoo i love it so much oh no this was so work out yeah oh, dude, this it's, work. it's amazing whoa bro so that's jeff's second cover and uh um, oh, zach, zach spivy did this I, I really like it because it gives you that like stained glass look yeah and so it made me think of invigoration, which is a word that's synonymous with samurai in itself, because they always think about, you know, balance and 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 revitalizing their strength during downtimes. 
by thinking about their actions before doing it. It's very visual. So I, I, I named this one a uh, wild invigoration because that's, that's what it feels like. It's, it's like, never think podcasters do before they podcast, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we start thinking. Hold on. That's what yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to take that, that, that deep breath. Yeah. Look at that, mm-hmm. man. I love DJ Hall. Now DJ Hall and Zach Spivy both did a cover for uh, Austin St. John's redemption series. And I got I got DJ Hall to do that one for me, and that's also an Easter egg because I'm about to you know introduce you know a lot of the fighting with the black powder weapons that that came to Japan even before the black cells showed up because you really? you had you had countries like the French and even even Italians coming to the country when they were doing trade with Africa way well before black ships and Western culture came over here, and in mm-hmm. fact when you watch Blue Eye Samurai. The the characters that she's going to kill are you know Irish and and Irish and people from London who are trying to whittle their way into the Japanese culture to take advantage of their of their not just the trade route that goes you know cuts straight mm-hmm. through you know the Japanese Sea to get to China Korea and then to the mm-hmm. Atlantic so that you can get to America because that'd be easy for them right. But but it also also to take advantage of their economic values. So all their fruits and their grain work and stuff. Japanese culture is, is huge when it comes to grain work, beef. A lot of our beef that 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 high end restaurants get are from the wagyu, which is grown over there in Japan on an island. Most of them are grown on islands specifically by themselves to keep them pure. It's it's. Yeah, it's it's wild. So when you ever go to a restaurant, you want steak, you get wagyu. You get wagyu steak. Be the wagyu. best piece of meat that you've ever eaten in your entire life. Brother, I'm gonna go and do that, and I will contact you. <laughs> Let you know how my experience goes. I we need it. Oh wow, this is beautiful, bro. Yeah, and and here's here's the voodoo special. Kevin called in a favor on this one and got Michael Monty Moore to do this beautiful beautiful rendition she looks like a geisha but she's not this is actually the vestige of morichika's wife mm-hmm. kogusai kogusai and she'll she'll make an uh she'll make an appearance later in the series uh, nothing in this series is going to be what it seems I, I have huge plot twists that are already in the works but i'm really proud of this cover right here uh, in fact you could all you, you could get even though even though you can get this here if you just wanted to print, you could also get this here. But Mike, Monty Moore, Michael Monty Moore has been selling prints of this specific cover through uh, his Maverick Arts website mm-hmm. for a minute. So I don't, I don't know if he still got them up. He only had forty at the time. So we'll just we'll see. Taste of some of the interiors, folks. I mean, look at this. Look at the panels, the lettering, everything. Who's doing the lettering? SK SK is doing the lettering. Look at that. Yeah, I love the gradients he put in the uh, the captions and stuff. It really makes it really makes it really makes the color on the rest of the page pop. It does. It does. It does. I mean, look at this. And again, the panel uses, you know, nice eye candy keeps your eye moving across the page. Yeah. If that's if that's one thing that I do make sure that the clients that I edit for do is when I do see a discrepancy in story, it's usually not because they've written it, you know, wrong or they've done anything wrong with their story. It's the pacing. It's the pacing and the flow. And basically, comic book editing, I compare that to logics puzzles. Like, it's the same way you'd write a video game. Everything goes through this shape, this shape's named this thing, this goes that way, this goes this way. One of the most important things I learned from Andy Schmidt while, while learning from comics experience was you have the most control because you have the ability to move the reader's eye in the direction that you want it to. I thought that was very evocative learning how to write comics because you really don't have that ability when you write novels or when you're writing you know anything that's non-visual novellas which are shorter novels or if you're writing Mm -hmm. short stories or even poetry you know that's more symmetry in in terms of like coming up with great words but in comics and in graphic novels and in you know screenwriting you get to you get to control the way they perceive your story which I think is the most valuable thing about storytelling in the visual medium. Something that really attracted me to writing period was you get to make others feel the way you perceive a series of events happening. It's, it's a humbling way to teach others 
maybe remind others that they've forgotten that this is something that you could do in this situation. You know, I've, I don't know if you've ever been inspired by anything you wrote or, or read, but if, if something that you read in a comic really resonated with you that like kind of changed your life or like maybe made you think about something a certain way, oh, then that, that, yeah, that writer did their job. Uh, absolutely. In fact, that was Paul Cornell. He did a Spawn story when I was going through something. This one was Spawn was, uh, when he, who was the artist? We got the homie. But they were trying to do the, the, the news kind of a different direction for Spawn. And, okay. and then they kind of changed plans at the time. But this is a story of when basically the finality of, of, of Spawn's, you know, of Wanda. You okay. know? And yeah, and at that time I was going through something with a loved one. And it's like, wow, me and Al, the other Al, were going through the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's and, a more better outcome than he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, letting go is really hard. That's 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 something I see in writing all the time. I made a mm-hmm. post about it the other day, and it talks about a character that I'm currently writing for an anthology novel that it's going to be the precipice of kind of launching my own little superhero niche universe. Oh, and the Florian verse is coming, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do it a little smarter because I don't have a lot of money. So you have to find creative ways to get things across. Mm-hmm. And I've 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 the superhero genre in the novel medium is, has actually increased exponentially over you know years. CC Icky is is a great hero writer and he's done like over twenty novels, big events, yeah. you know, all the things that you could yeah. Uh, from my perspective, you know. Us, you know, and when we get opportunities to check out new stuff, you're absolutely right. A lot of superhero stories are being ter- basically formed in, in novels. Yeah, you know, we, we've been recently offered a couple of you know new projects from Marvel, DC, and uh, family graphics. You know that are that are more uh, prosy, if you will. I've actually I've actually noticed something really cool. I, I bought at a comic book store. It was it was a, it was a small novel for kids. It was a Black Panther story, and it, what the the great thing about it was inside when you open it up, it's almost like you're reading a comic book. So it's it's like an illustrated novel because every every three to six pages there's there's a visual. It's a it's like a whole splash page, and then inside the text they're using onomatopoeias to convey action which i thought was really cool i never seen that in like actual novels that like are published by simon and schuster or something that you see you know by new york or not not the washington post but like the new york new york publishing yeah and and i was kind of inspired by that so that's kind of what gave me that idea of like well if i wanted to launch a pantheon of characters that at most independent publishers do because they want to build universes because they're they're looking at DC and Marvel, and they're like, "Oh, we could do this too." Yeah. Um, I'm going to go the novel route and and build my audience that way. And then if I want to, if I want new material, I'll just reach back into anthologies and I'll just adapt those into scripts, and then I'll just start from there and then grow those out. So, yeah, I, I had spoken to someone that actually their whole journey started out as a novel, and then it said, "Well, I guess graphic novel will work out better because it's just." It was gonna be too, it was gonna be like a war and peace, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, oh wait a minute, you gotta cut this down. How can we do it? I turn it into a graphic novel into like you know a couple of volumes, and boom, that's what he did. Yeah, and and the best part about it is if you if you wrote a novel instead of a comic, and you didn't want to write the comic, you just pay somebody else to do it while you're working on something else. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the things. That's that's one of the. That's why I like you said. You know, that thing about, you know, the story was about Wanda and it meant something to you. It changed you. And I know that storyline has a lot to do with like letting go. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I run into these, you know, like I've written for Grote Comics and a lot of these other publishers. And sometimes when you think about doing a story and like when you're paid, you don't really get to put your two cents in, but you still kind of can. But then you can't talk them out of what they're wanting to do because you see something, they see something, but this is what they want. So like I've always told myself when I go into this, I don't want to be that type of person. So that's why when I started the anthology project, it's called Cows of the Coast because I live on the coast. And the idea behind it is all my characters are going to be out here in Biloxi on the Mississippi coast, you know, saving people, saving the world, fighting bad guys. I want to do the same thing that Stan Stan Lee did, but I want it, I want it, I want it to immediately resonate with other writers and other readers. So I, I, I got 
other people involved. And so one person's doing this story, that person's doing this story, that person's doing this story. And hey, if it takes off, guess what? They have more work because I'm going to be like, you did really great on that story. How would you like this? You know, and then we can dive into all these different types of hybrid models that are being done that you don't hear a lot about because of copywriting and trademarking and technicalities. But if you learn how to respect the individual that's helping you grow things, you really don't have to worry about all that in the long run because you have other people helping you build. Like, you know, what Kevin says all the time, you know, all boats rise, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody succeed. So I hope, I hope, I hope it does really good, but it, it covers like letting go. Like, especially like be, as being a parent, the hardest things for us to do is let go. Like we got to oh, let yeah, go yeah. of the kids, you know, from nurturing sometimes so that they can learn how to make mistakes so they know what to do. Cause we're not always going to be there. Um, right. You know what? We're not there to purify the corrupt in their lives. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I go hardcore when a wild Oni comes out. One thing I told myself, because I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of murder porn. I, I don't believe in the ideology that spreading that kind of entertainment is really healthy for people to think about all the time because it kind of creates more Al Bundys than we really need, and that's just that's just being you know that's just being a pro thinker. I just I caution towards it, but because this is a fiction fantasy, it did take place in a time in history, especially in a country that was technically built on visceral actions of war and famine. I was going to go all out. So when Wild Oni comes out. It's the literal expression of wild. Like nothing stops Wild Oni. Like when Wild Oni comes out, he doesn't care about ideology. He doesn't care about, you know, emotions, emotional reactions. He doesn't care that, you know, you're the mother of an eight year old. Like if you're in his way, you get cut in half. It's, it's one of the things that I needed to, I needed to, I needed Wild Oni to make a statement for so that Mori Chika can convey the message of, I need to absolve myself of this mess. Because this is not what I thought I was going to get. And let's talk about what we're getting. Folks, as I said before, Wandering Journeyman's Digital Tier starting at five bucks. Right? Then we got the Foot Soldier retail cover at eight. We have a regretful file very cover at 15. We have things here that need to be unlocked. Right now, looks like we have a sticker. Yeah, those are some chibi stickers that Sean Barber made and uh, Jay Moore colored. Really cool. That particular character right there is Joro. The next one down, the next uh, chicker, uh, chibi sticker character down is Naga. Those are Toyo Tomi's like go-to guys. Like those are his bebops and Rocksteady. <laughs> so when he needs stuff done, and that's Toyo Tomi himself. So there's there's five chibi stickers to get. And there's an additional two chibi stickers that you can only get with certain tiers. Awesome. I mean, you got all types of variants, and these are for print, not just digi, correct? Right, right. Physical. Right. See that physical? Because smell the ink, kiddo. Woo! Don't you love it? <laughs> Look at that. So, for example, for $15, you get six items plus optionals. You know, while only Flint Line Academy Digital PDF, while only number one Flint Academy DJ Hall, while only number one print. And three more thing, thingies over here. I mean, there's details everywhere. Let's take a look. You want to take a look? Let's dive in. Oh, Kickstarter. Don't you see me on? What are you doing? Until I want to Okay. There we go. That's what I say. That's never happened. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, man. There we go. We got all these. Damn. Look at all these. Whoa, bro. What? With the optional add-ons? I mean, people here could go nuts, huh? Um, um, actually, I, actually, for certain backers, some people can learn how to write comics. The one of the things Ooh. I offer, my ad, one of the things I offer mm-hmm. my add-ons for 175 is basically how to start your comic career, from editing to marketing to writing to knowing what to choose to growing a universe. All the things that I've learned in the last almost five years working in the industry, whether it be marketing, whether it be social media, P- PR, podcasting. Like I, I can I can show you how to build all that. Well, everyone and a half learn how to build all that, man, because that's how you succeed. I and mean, you could pick the brain of someone like this. I highly, highly recommend that you do if you're trying to get into into the journey. I mean, and look at all these campaigns. So why offer so many different tiers? How did you figure that out? I mean, and again, always my favorite, you even got those retail packages. 
25 copies and more. Look at this. I mean, what, where did you learn all these tricks? Or it was just your, your editing experience? <laughs> yeah. So, so aside from editing comics, I've had the luxury of editing on almost, almost 40 plus, 45 plus campaigns that we've done. Wow. With inked, you know, even Austin St. John's, uh, the Exiled that was published by Massive, I had to work on those. The one that came through with Frick, man, what was the name of that book? Bigfoot, the Bigfoot book, Moonshot Bigfoot. Yeah, the image, the image campaign, and then all the other ones in between. You get to see how they structure their offerings, and some of them you kind of don't agree with, and some of them I thought were like you, you offer this, but you could offer that kind of gave me an idea that I wanted people to be able to mix and match. So I have all my variants have their own tiers for people who don't want the original cover or they just, you know, they just, they just want that one. Some people offer like all their variants in one package and then sell the original. And then they have, you know, bigger packages. I want people to be able to choose like you, you want one copy, but you just want the variant or do you want like this whole collection where it comes with the hollow foil version the virgin version and then like the trade dress version which is which is like the monty michael moore halloween special that i had drop that was only available for that day they're gonna get you know the ver the virgin variant the the trade dress and then you know the hollow oil the hollow file variant and then with that comes the the kogasai exclusive sticker along with that and then a bunch of other stuff um, making it rain, folks. He's making it rain on them pledges. Everybody put them in. One, one I do want to do. I want to cover real quick is is the uh, the drawn in tier. Where are we going? Drawn in. Hey, why would he beheaded? Oh, you want to cut my head off? <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you got a wife, best friend, if you got a boss, this is a great time to uh, get out some of that frustration. So in, in issue one, there. Uh, there's a conflict between Tell Your Tell Me Soldiers and the Ronin Salamanders. They're supposed to be isolated. Like no one's no one's supposed to be able to know where they come in at. And then in issue two, I explained that there were up to five characters that kind of gave away the location of this, you know, illegal monastery where these Ronin salamanders will hold up practicing things they shouldn't be practicing in Japan while they're at war with Korea, who whose greatest supporter is China. And and they shouldn't be doing those things, but also harboring the secrets of you know the salamander, which is the other primordial god that Wild Oni fought, that led to him getting locked into that meteoric prison. And so you get to you get you get the honor of getting your honor back by committing seppuku, while Itchy cuts you guys' heads off, and uh, you get to be drawn into that tier. Those are always fun tiers. Uh, I know Kevin got one. I got four more left. That would really like wrap up the whole campaign and then allow me to do some other stuff. But I really hope people jump into that because it's the only it's the only drawn in tier I'm going to have for the remainder of the series. I think. Um, oh really? I, I oh. was I was gonna do I was gonna do Ichi. I was gonna offer her character for like the likeness tier, but when it comes down to going into the retail space, there's a lot of copyright. Uh, that goes involved with that because now you're you're not just introducing this real person in the likeness of a comic to just the backers on Kickstarter. You're distributing their identity to the world at that point, and I I just don't have the the legal I don't have legality to either protect that individual or protect the comic because if you have that type of option in your book, publishers may or may not pick you up. So, you know, mm-hmm. if, if publishers only saw that in one book, we could just, you know, redo those, those pages. But if it was like throughout the entire series, that, that'd be a, that'd be a deal breaker. So the, the biggest tier that I got though is the clan myth tier. This one's really special because that, that, that wicked Oni cover that, that Dan Kemp colored, Jeff's going to do an 11 by 17 pencil and then sign it and send it to me. And that's, that's original art. So, I mean, that's that's huge. Like I'm jealous because he's only doing one, and I don't get one. So, I mean, you get that one, and then he pictures of you holding it to tease. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go get some big paper and I'm gonna trace it <laughs> before I send it off. 
Mm-hmm. And then and then for that one, you know, you get everything Wicked Oni and then plus a, a whole bunch of other stuff, including the script, which I've also made available. Oh um, nice. Yeah, in certain and in, in a certain degree to to a few of the different offerings. And one of the things that, that I've had to do as a writer in comics was study scripts. So I have I have books of scripts that were published by other publishing companies that have, you know, scripts from other writers like Alan Moore or Kevin Smith. I think the most recent one I bought has a bunch of has a bunch of uh, scripts that were done by people who wrote like Spider-Man and Captain America. But if you want to be the best at writing comics or doing comics period, you have to read what they're doing. You have to study the yeah. techniques they're using. You have to understand why, you know, they decided to make, you know, Captain America be portrayed on this page the way he did. Because one of the biggest things of writing comics is when you create a character and that character has personalities, there's going to be things that those characters can't do to stay in character. And the one of the one of the easiest ways that you can break character in a comic is by hiring a writer who doesn't know the character and they make that character do something visually that's totally against what the character that you created or that has been created could possibly do, especially if you have a reader's base. Is now you have you know readers out there talking about well this character did this really weird thing and we don't understand why because they've never they've never done this in the past so in order to understand why characters do certain things the way they do it you have to understand how they're being written how it's being understood how the information is being put on the page so at least three or four times a month I'm online looking up scripts new scripts old scripts if you can and studying how they used to write comics. I'm even going back as far as like the bronze age. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of that caption commentary is coming back uh, for how they tell stories. And that's one of the things that set sin city apart from a lot of the modern comics. When it came back, it's just Frank Miller wrote it. This like third person. And it was beautiful because a lot of that writing hasn't been seen since the bronze or, you know, like the gold age of comics, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of today we see comics where like, we're seeing the action as it happens. And the only time we go back into flashbacks or flash forwards are when we're dropping exposition because we're puzzling out our information so that readers stay engaged. Lock and key is a good example of that. They did it well, but when you have lock and key doing it and you have, you know, writers over here, like who ate the, who, something's eating the children doing it. And then you have another series doing it. After a while, you over, you overcompensate your readers and then eventually they catch on to the pattern and then you have to switch it up. Well, how do you make that process more complicated other than scrambling it again in a different way that confuses people? So going back to basics has always has always been a trend that I've 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 seen happen time and time again. And it should be Bronze Age had a wonderful stuff. I'm a big fan of that aura, you know? Yeah. Definitely and it was good reading. You could pick up a book and not put it down in, in five minutes. It would take you at least a half hour. Yeah, the fluid dynamics for their storytelling. It you pick up a story and you'd read it, and it was just it, it seemed so effortless. And so many it. one and dones I missed those days, Mike. Yeah, yeah, like uh, Marvel. You presents. didn't have to buy a whole <laughs> <laughs> God, you know, one of the things I can't stand about modern modern day comics, and I know it's been the norm for years, is that when they tell a story in like Miles Morales, and then you have to go to Ghost Rider one to read what's going on over here and then daredevil one to read what's going on over here. And then they converge in this huge event. I just, I don't think long-term that's, that's gonna, that's gonna last any longer than it has. And I know I probably not the only person to ever say that. I probably not the only person to ever say that. And then them still do it. I just, I just think there'd be, it'd be a better way to tell those stories without having to always converge them to use that as a mechanic to increase sales. It's, it's kind of, it's it's kind of snarky. It's kind of shifty, shady. If you can't if you can't tell the story in a four issue series and let it be that, then maybe that story is not within telling. the book itself. How about yeah. that within the title itself? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's 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 why we have indie comics, man. Because people yeah. see that and they're like, they're not trying to cross over. Indies, indie creators are trying to cross their characters over in support of themselves, which is great. But like, you don't have to go back and read like this publisher's one through four and this publisher's one through five. And you don't have to spend all this money to find out what happens next. It's just, it's all right there. And then in like one big shot, like you get to see it. I think the most recent crossover I've seen lately was Joe Galicia 
doing something with Starcrossed and a couple of the characters that I've seen with like Carlos mm-hmm. Raphael and stuff, which have been really cool. Because one of the characters that I saw in that crossover with Joe Galisi on the cover was a, a comic character called Gungool. And that's done by a gentleman named Will Callaghan, who I interviewed in 2017, which is the first person I ever, ever connected with inside the comics books industry. But the character was so cool. It's, it's, it's about a ghoul who, who shoots weapons and he can face through walls and stuff. It's, it's, it was awesome to see him be mm-hmm. a part of that whole thing. I don't know. We'll get there, man. Indie comics is around for a reason. And it's, it's not just to create healthy competition for bigger publishers, but it's also to, you know, like me offering new content and new ways to present it to readers out there, which is why we always come to Kickstarter because, you know, it's success is because people out there want, they want new material and, you know, they're tired of some of the older tropes that publishers take advantage of, you know, to make it, to make their next, their next meal ticket. You know, it's, we're, yeah. we're out here providing Please. depth. Oh, Wild Oni's definitely Please. got some depth. We got some yeah. depth. Go in the go in the go in the go in the go. Yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For real, it's it's not just you know finding different things, but it's just also the the future. It's it's the pool, the talent pool, or, or the yeah. future of, of the industry. Yeah, because I mean, everybody does start out indie, yeah. right? Not everybody just goes straight into the major leagues. These these big companies find you guys in the indie and finally coerce some some of the indies to, hey, come on over here, you know, we'll, we'll give you a fat paycheck. But you know, and that's fine. Everybody needs to find a success, you know, yeah. in, in any way that they can, and I'm more for it. You know, so long as they don't hurt nobody and, and tell us wonderful stories. And all I ask is, please fight back. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. to change the character. And if you're a fan of that character, you understand like Homie was saying, just fight back. Yeah. All right. Fuck yeah, it. Just, All right. But you know what you're gonna be fighting for? It's kickstarting this project. All right. So with 23 yeah. days to go, you know, a thousand dollar go, we're almost there, folks. Let's make it rain that when he wakes up tomorrow morning, he got the G, and then it's the, the rest is you know, unlocking the next couple of tears all right let's make it happen and you know when you make it happen the link is below but let me tell you right now it's at inked.pub slash wild only that's w-i-l-d-o-n-i live on kickstarter right now baby now mike two things before we go are we going to see you at any other conventions during the rest of this year or, or are you done there is a convention coming to the Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum, and it's it's going to be new. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go because the table prices are from two fifty to five hundred bucks. But mm-hmm. but it's fifty percent. I got to talk to another creator uh, with Diebold. His name's John Holland. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna try to see if he'll go hapsies with me because this is going to be in time for me to make a print run so that I can show that there. So the Bluxy Gulf Coast Coliseum, I believe it's in the end of November. I don't know what the name of the event is yet. They haven't announced it because it's literally brand new. Okay. So other than yeah, that. We'll try to do money. We don't know the name of it. Yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- I, th- I believe it's, it's, it's a bunch of uh, organizations coming together for the first time to bring like an organic comic book fan base back to the coast. So. We we have a lot of we have a lot of anime and cosplay fests come through here that that bring that type of of fan base to us, but they're they're more there for like the voice actors and their favorite characters on anime, and uh, you got vendors out there all the time, but they really want to build an organic comic book, and I think uh, a comic book fan base, and I think it's because they see like New York New Orleans Expo, which will be which will be down here in December, which I'm, I'm probably going to, but not as a creator, but more as a fan. But you, you know you have Daleks Expo, so Fan Expo in general has events all over the country. But mm-hmm. I, think, I think they really want the Gulf Coast Coliseum down here in Biloxi to be more like San Diego Comic Con and New York Comic Con. We have several big events that literally flood Biloxi Coast every year. One of them is Black Spring Break. The other one is Cruising the Coast, and the other one is another car event that literally brings people in from Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Texas and all over. Like I'm talking about like if you go down the beachway, it would take you three hours to get from one side to the other. That would normally take you 15 minutes. Because you yeah, you get to see every car that's ever been made pretty much at these car events. And then for Black Friday, you've got 
you got people from all over, like from Atlanta and Georgia, or from Atlanta, parts of Atlanta, and then Georgia, and then Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, just just everywhere, just everywhere. Mm-hmm. They have music festivals, food pops up, food truck convention usually pops up around that time too, which is really cool. Food truck convention, I mean, yeah, they got food truck conventions out here, man. Yeah, I, I love tacos, bro. Like street tacos. That'll be dangerous, right? But yeah, if I think I think they're just trying to build it up. I don't know what it's called, but when it is, I'll let you know. Yeah, if I go to that one, that's the one. Support that. And last thing here, you know, let us know where we can follow you. I know you got a podcast, man. Comics and pop tarts. Yeah, comics and pop tarts. When it drops, and then give us your social handles. Man, yeah, comics and pop tarts is on Spotify, Amazon. I'm not on Pandora yet, but that's okay. I'll be there eventually. But Amazon, Google, whatever. My my moniker on that is Inevitable Mike. I, I do episodes bi-weekly or sometimes every week. Really depends. And you can get me on on uh, Instagram at Michael Food for Thought and Facebook at uh, Florio Comics, and then uh, LinkedIn at I think it was Michael underscore Florio. I'm not sure. Just type in Michael Williams or Michael Florio. I'll pop up. But if you cop in comics and pop tarts, you could definitely find me through there as well. Fantastic. I'll be sharing all of those links below. Don't yeah. worry, folks. You can follow, click away. But most importantly, it is this one right here. That is the goal, baby. So support this wonderful project. All right. Wild Oni Inc. dot club slash Wild Oni on Kickstarter right now. Mike, you are the man. I appreciate your time. You know, obviously we we overextended our time. Why? Because it was a good combo, man. You got a lot of knowledge. I cannot wait to have you back on because we're going to go in on the AI. I definitely got stuff on on that. All right. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show tonight, brother. Absolutely. And and folks, man, as we mentioned, you know, big shout out to my people over at Ink Studios. You can check out their website at ink.marketing. You can email them at solutions at ink.marketing. They'll send you a solutions guy. Filled with their services, examples of campaigns, animations, testimonials, and a whole lot more. All right, so if you're an independent creator out there looking to get their, their uh, projects and get some eyes on them, check out Inc.pub. And wish the hasta la próxima, my gente. Much love. Wepa! Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please you like subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCase.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today.